Hello and welcome to another edition of the End Zone Podcast. My name is Eric Jensen, and uh, Wild Card Weekend is in the books. And what a Wild Card Weekend it was! The product was good. It was a good. It was a good Sunday of football and good Saturday of football as well. But Monday of football wasn't so great. But let me tell you something. I was expecting terrible games that had almost zero intrigue, like we got last year, and. Boy, did it actually deliver. There's a lot to talk about. We're joined today by a very special guest. I wanted to bring someone in to talk about Wild Card Weekend. And uh, we'll do another show on, Look, it's looking like Thursday, hopefully that works with Bradford and Mason, uh, previewing the divisional round just briefly. But we're going to do a little bit of an Eagles-Giants deep dive today with our our. our our fav- one of our favorite contributors to the End Zone Podcast, our senior draft analyst, it is Ryan Kearney. Ryan, welcome to the program. Hey, you know, thanks for having me on, Eric. Really appreciate it. You know, not every year your uh, favorite NFL team, which for me is the Philadelphia Eagles, picks in the top 10 and also gets a bye in the first round of the playoffs. So it's been a good season for the Birds. And uh, yeah, excited to uh, get into a lot of Eagles thoughts as, uh, as well as bouncing around uh, some other thoughts around the NFL. Yes, indeed. A majority of today is going to be spent on what happened in Wild Card Weekend. And while we will have some talk about the winners, I want to focus today to if when we get into more deep conversations outside of what just happened in the game, what's next for some of these losing teams uh, as we will put them on the back burner for the next few weeks as we focus on teams that advanced. So I have several thoughts on how to do this, but it feels like going in chronological order would be the most fun. Uh, so let's let's just start with the first game of the weekend. It was the Seattle Seahawks playing the San Francisco 49ers. And uh, interesting game. The talk here, obviously, Ryan, I know you probably don't have time, but a hotly debated topic on our last podcast uh, was whether Brock Purdy was good or not. I argued that he had just gotten extremely lucky. I will say this. The first half was not good. The first half was very, very bad from Brock Purdy. It is what I expected from Brock Purdy. Um, But then, I mean, holy cow. Puts it together in the second half. The Niners pull it together and they win going away in a blowout. Don't have the score up in front of me, but I believe it was what 31 to 17, I want to say. Does that sound right to 41 23? 41 23 as I pull up the scores. So I have that for future reference. Bradford did this live up to the hype how do you view Brock Purdy now I guess I have to give him some respect but he did go 18 of 30 he did not have a perfect game Trevor Lawrence threw four picks in the first half of the Chargers game Eric listen they don't ask how they just ask uh like how meant how you did it I don't know my metaphor is kind of falling off a cliff here I think Brock Purdy did struggle in the first half but he also made some really impressive plays especially with his legs a lot of a lot of like like running out of the pocket and throwing. I, I just I don't know. I think he has made 
Say what you want about Purdy being a system quarterback or him being lucky and landing in the perfect spot. It's a pretty damn good system, and he has been more effective in it than Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, when's the last Niners playoff game you saw where Jimmy was putting up stat lines like that? You know, it just doesn't really happen that often. It's not really how the Niners were playing playoff games with him, and Brock is not afraid. He is he is uh, an absolute uh, 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 gunslinger out there. It's the word I was looking for. He goes out there, he throws it deep, he makes risky throws, he completes a lot of them, and he really opens up this Niners offense in a way that Jimmy either wasn't willing to or wasn't able to. So, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm. Nobody's trying to suggest that Brock Purdy is like a franchise quarterback MVP candidate type of guy, but he's played really, really impressively, especially considering where he came from. And I, I just, it just kind of seemed like you've been trying to frame him for like war crimes this whole time when what he's been doing is pretty impressive, I think. I think he's pretty impressive too. I mean, at this point, he should be playing with confidence. I mean, he's freaking 6-0 in games that he started. He is making a lot of really nice completions. I mean, they've got excellent skill players there, so they give him good windows for throws. They make really nice catches that maybe would be a little more difficult for some other people. But, I mean, who cares about any of that? Because as long as he's willing to step up there and throw the ball those ways, like, they're just going to keep working that offense that way. I mean, Christian McCaffrey ran a whole offense on his back without any help. Now he's got a quarterback who's actually willing to make some plays and not just throw the ball his way 800 times a game. It opens up so many things for them. And their defense is playing lights out. I mean, God, the 49ers are just incredible right now. Yeah, I think those are uh, those are all really good points. I think like for me, when I think back on Brock Purdy, like obviously there was still a reason why he was the last pick of the draft. And this is certainly not common to experience something like this at all. So there's definitely a lot of, you know, anomaly here that it's hard to still kind of make an early analysis on it. But I think for me, like, Thinking back to Brock Purdy when he was at Iowa State, like he had a lot of experience. Like he was, you know, a multi-year starter, captain for the team. Like he, he got a lot of these game reps, but a lot of where he fell short in the evaluation process was in his decision-making. And I think that's really where the situation around him is aided. You know, Kyle Shanahan's offensive genius, the run game, the foundation they have there, the ability to set Brock Purdy up for success on play action, you know, all the things that they were able to still do under what, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo was able to do for a lot of the success that they've had uh, has, you know, translated into Brock Purdy having more success. So that you brought up a good point, Bradford. Like Garoppolo has not historically been a great playoff performer, even despite, uh, you know, some team success. Um, it hasn't necessarily always been on his back. He's got a negative team. D INT ratio, you know, in postseason play. So for Brock Purdy to come in and immediately, you know, go, oh, bang, 300 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, you know, that isn't something we've seen in this Niners offense. And maybe does give them a dimension that, uh, you know, wasn't necessarily something they were able to kind of hit, um, which is crazy to say, but at least that's what we've seen so far from Purdy. And until we get a moment where the decision-making, you know, starts to question or come around or nods your head where he's taking a bad sack or forcing a bad turnover, things that held him back during his time with Iowa state. I don't think there's uh, too much to stopping the Niners. They're, you know, one of the hottest teams in football right now for a good reason. The difference to me is Debo Samuel. That is the difference to me. Debo Samuel has not looked this way all season long. This is the bat that game on Saturday was the best Debo Samuels has looked all year for the 49ers due to, you know, I think burnout from last year and maybe just being used a little bit differently in the offense this year. But every time he touched the ball on Saturday, he made 
an absolutely explosive play. And when this offense has Debo Samuel working the way he was, 32 yards rushing, 133 yards receiving a touchdown. When Debo's going at full strength, this offense is just almost impossible to stop. And you put that on top of the fact that Brandon Ayuk is out there throwing nasty blocks on dudes like 20 yards down the field. And Ove added one of the best running backs in football to a scheme that just makes it so easy for him. I don't know. I got, I, I'd been extremely pro Eagles going into this game, but watching this, I don't know, Ryan, I, I just get worried. I do feel like to me after seeing what they did this weekend, and if they can figure out the Cowboys defense next weekend, if they go into an NFC championship game against the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't think I'm picking against this Niners team. I think there's just way too much talent on both sides of the ball for them to be stopped. And it's just, it's really impressive what they've done. Um, It looks like you want to rebuttal that maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't want to get too, too far ahead of ourselves. You know, these teams still have a game to play in the divisional round before they would face off head to head. Although both of them are certainly favored the Niners and the Eagles at home. What what I think about that, though, is I think that that exactly plays into exactly what the Eagles want you to think. The Eagles want you to think that the Niners are the favorite, that they're coming in hot, that they're going to catch the Eagles by surprise when they're struggling. Like the Eagles have been built upon a team that prides itself off other people doubting them. Like we remember the 2017 Super Bowl when everyone picked against them as soon as Carson Wentz went down. And what did they do? They just dominated through the NFC playoffs. And the Atlanta Falcons game, they definitely got a little lucky on. But then you come back, oh, the Minnesota Vikings come away after the Minnesota Miracle. And everyone's like, oh, they're just going to go on, knock off the Eagles. This team is not the number one team in the country, uh, you know, in football. Like, I I think that's exactly what the Eagles want you to think. They want you to think that the Niners are, are the best team in football and are unstoppable and they want the Niners to be the favorite because that's exactly how the Eagles you know have pride themselves on you know being the underdog in those situations like I think people may have just forgotten how dominant the Eagles were for such a long stretch that we just think back to the month when Jalen Hurts was injured and they needed to you know squeak by the Giants uh in a tough game like they're going to be playing their best football yeah you know at this time of year like there there hasn't been a team that uh really has gone into Philly and, and dominated them uh you know this season so uh, I don't know. I, I obviously think that, you know, the Eagles still definitely have reason to believe that they could beat the Niners head to head, even despite the, you know, run that the Niners have been on over the last two months. Yeah. Switching briefly here to talk about the Seahawks. I'll just throw this out and you, you guys can kind of respond. I think they bring Gino back. I think that's pretty much set in stone at this point, the way Pete Carroll talked in his press conference after they want Gino in that locker room. I think Gino's going to be willing to give them a hometown discount. And then what the Seahawks do next is going to be very, very interesting because they have a lot of draft capital all of a sudden and some cap space where very quickly – a lot's been made of the defense needs to get better and younger quickly. I think you can do that with that first pick, but I honestly think they need to go give Gino more weapons. Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are getting up there in age. They are not young 
emerging superstars anymore. I think you need to go add talent to uh, okay. receive. Okay, Eric, you can make 25. I know. What are you talking about? He is that emerging superstar. He was the only guy that's got He's got that. I'm just saying, he's got that money. Is it ever? It is never a bad idea to just go add more weapons. That's just never a bad idea. And I think that's absolutely. That's a great point. I just calling DK all of Matt Rose 25. He's been in the league for a while now, though. Like they're going to, they're going to have weapons around. Okay. You should get more. Like you should, you should go. Gino has shown that he is at the very least capable of getting the ball to said weapons, get him some good ones and you can create a really potent offense. I do agree with that point. I just suggested that DK is over the hill past his prime. I mean, this is it. This is the DK Metcalf swan song at the, at the ripe age of 25. It's that's, a little ridiculous. that's not what I meant. Mason, do you know what I meant? I, 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 I... I, I sometimes my words get twisted on here. I, I mean, I, I I don't think he's necessarily really over the hill or past his prime either. I think there's <laughs> no. I never said career. that. Did I ever say he was I over mean, the hill? You heard of your DK Metcalf hey. is washed. Uh, uh, Jerry, uh, Asher. Hey, bro, if DK yeah, Metcalf that, is old. What does that mean? Cole post. Beasley. How old is Cole oh. Beasley in this comparison? Wow. Oh my god, he's like thirty-three death. or some shit like that. Yeah, he's, he's on he's, he's on death's doorstep. Um, I, I think honestly, oh, like they definitely should keep Gino, but considering again the draft capital they have in a pretty unprecedented position that they're in, like it it, it might be worth it for them. And and I really like to see it is like Gino Smith in that Alex Smith role, you know, uh, playing the whole year, being solid enough, mentoring a young guy so he gets to sit the whole year and watch and learn. And obviously, Gino wants to say there, his last press conference he gave, he was very emotional about the whole thing on how the Seahawks were the only team that was willing to give him a chance. And so he's, like, retiring there. That's as far as he's concerned. So uh, there's nothing that's going to stop him from being there either. And so with the goodwill that they clearly have with him, I don't think he would necessarily be you know, um, a content like some other quarterbacks will be if they draft a quarterback that early and just explain to him, like, look, the job's yours until otherwise proven. We're not drafting someone to replace you now. Just we're drafting someone for you to train for your replacement. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Mason. And uh, like specifically looking at this draft, I think like in my own thoughts, I think that like a guy like CJ Stroud would be a good fit for a team like Seattle, like a team that already has some existing weapons, a team that already drafted an offensive tackle last season, you know, obviously coming from Ohio State, he's used to having all these weapons around him. And if Stroud was placed into a situation where it was kind of lacking that they're still in the middle of a rebuild, say a team like the Texans, I could see him struggling right away. But a team like Seattle, that would be an interesting spot for him to go to, even in a situation where they do bring Geno Smith back, because like you're saying there, Mason, they can have the opportunity where they can kind of ease him in a little bit. But that even brought me another idea, because Seattle, they still have another first round pick in their own, uh, you know, later in the first round, pick 20, as well as pick five. So maybe they look a little bit deeper into the first round and they look at a guy like Anthony Richardson, who has unbelievable traits. And the Seahawks are known for being a team that loves these athletic, fast, rangy, twitchy, unique athletes. And even though Richardson needs a long time to develop, you can still play him under Geno Smith for a year, maybe even two, uh, you know, with still some, you know, certainty in terms of, uh, you know, we, we made the playoffs this year. So uh, I think those are maybe some two potential options that could be really fun fits uh, for Seattle if they wanted to go with a young quarterback in addition to, to uh, Geno Smith.
And yet, how often do you get the chance to be in the playoffs and have a top five pick sitting there waiting for you, too? Yeah. I I would be hesitant to draft a quarterback if you're Ben because you you know you have something in Geno that works. Why not? Why waste a pick on someone to develop behind him when you could just try? Well, and I, I think it's because Geno's not the long term guy. He maybe is a, is there for another year or two, but I don't think he's, he's going to win you a Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, and if he does win you a Super Bowl, great. Who's but again, I don't see his career he doesn't being more than a, two, if, if, two if to does... three years. Like, draft the guy you want while you've got the ability. But who's to say he can't if they don't? If they surround like Russell Wilson when he won them the Super Bowl was not that great, was not prime Russell Wilson. Like that was a great team that won the Super Bowl mainly because of their defense. Like I think they should invest those picks into the defense, into a defensive front in a, you know a deep edge class that can get to the quarterback and go get those players like Jalen Carter on the defensive line. And, and see what you can do with a, an even better defense next year and maybe some other young weapons. There, there will still be plenty of time to draft quarterbacks down the road. I, I but mean, that, that may not be in a year where you're picking top five and have two first-round picks at your expense. Like, this is often – and it, it's a good quarterback class this year as well. I There's options that they could target. Well, and in fairness to Seattle's uh, GM and their front office group, too, they do a really good job finding, like, defensive talent in that, like, three to five range. So, like, you Eric know. Wallen, one of the best rookies this year, fifth-round pick. They they do an incredible job in that range. I mean, that that's where so many, you know, front offices make a lot of hay is there. But them especially, like, you, you see it all the time. So many of their all pros and their stuff come from that. Cool. All right, moving on to the next game. I don't even want to do this. Uh, yeah, you do. <laughs> I, don't, I really don't want to do this. Jaguars in the Super Bowl. I, 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 I know, I know where this goes. Um, Twenty-seven point lead at halftime. That just hurts. Uh, it's a twenty-point lead at halftime. It was twenty-seven-seven, but it was a twenty-seven-nothing lead. Okay, twenty-seven-nothing lead. Twenty-point lead, going into halftime. Three points in the third quarter. Zero in the fourth. Jacksonville Jaguars score thirteen and eleven in the third and fourth, and rally to beat the Los Angeles Chargers by one point. 31 to 30, making one host of this podcast extremely sad. Uh, in you know, because I don't, I don't know why I've picked the Chargers as my second team, but I have, and uh, it's uh, just endless amounts of pain. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll give the floor to I guess the man who, who was right and a guy who I'm really not looking forward to this offseason with, to be honest, because I just know it's going to be. More of the same, more of, you know, blah, 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 blah. Justin Herbert sucks. Chargers suck. All of this stuff. Biggest Chargers hater I know, Bradford Sonnenberg. You, you have the floor. What, I mean, what happened? Well, uh, to counter your point about uh, uh, you being sad about this result, I, I, I will say if it makes you feel better, the net universal impact is still at the very least neutral because I was very happy. I, uh, I find that sometimes even the Chargers outcharger my wildest dreams. I actually 
once it hit 27, nothing was like, listen, I know they're the chargers, but there's no, no, there's a way, you know, I mean, in the history of being, and I, listen, I don't want to rub this in. I know you're going through a lot. I consider myself a very reasonable individual, a very kind man. I don't want to rub this in, but I mean, in the history of being right about stuff, has anybody ever been more right about something than I was about the damn chargers? Like, oh man, I, I would say that, pretty much every part of this that could have gone wrong for them did. And I think it's almost unfair that for them that they got that lead when they were completely incapable of doing anything without Trevor Lawrence gifting them like uh, uh, an incredibly short field. You know, the Chargers did not show up for this game. That 27 nothing lead was more or less an aberration. And it was mostly due to Jaguars' mistake. What has a team ever lost with a five-plus turnover differential? Well, having that, has it ever happened before? It can't have. There's no way. Like, it, any any uh, uh, positive uh, uh, Chargers plays in this were almost completely the result of Jaguars' mistakes. And then the Jags just, oh, they turned it on. I mean, you could point to a few different things. You could point to Joey Bosa throwing an absolute little baby piss tantrum on the sidelines. The shot of Staley giving him his helmet back only for him to throw it again. Absolutely iconic. So funny. I mean, Staley made so many bizarre decisions, namely just run the ball, man. It how many how many years of playoff football do we have to watch before teams realize that you can actually run out the clock if you run the ball? Like I don't I don't understand. I mean, how many blowing leads could have been prevented by calling a few uh, calling a few runs? It's 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 absolutely ridiculous. I don't know. I don't know how this keeps happening. And what's absolutely absurd about that too, Bradford, is Austin Eckler was playing his best football in December. He was incredible. Um, Austin Eckler down the stretch was absolutely unstoppable. And they just I mean the, he they refused to use him in this game. He got the ball 13 times for 35 yards, and then that that was mainly in the first half, and then they stopped. They just said, okay, he's not doing well today. Like, let's just stop giving him the football. The fact Justin Herbert threw 43 times in this game is kind of nuts. But those are numbers that would indicate this was a shootout, which it never was. And it's just baffling. And Joe Lombardi falls on the sword. He gets fired today. But, I mean, a, a guy that I just went to bat for, and, and like you cannot you can no longer defend Brandon Staley like no as you couldn't get earlier this year either he's been he's been costing this I mean the whole offense listen I criticize the the narrative that Herbert is like the greatest quarterback to ever walk the earth but he's still an incredible talent and the fact that an offense with a guy like that and receivers like Williams and Allen is so bland and just these stupid screen passes and, and all this absolute nonsense. I mean, Staley should absolutely be gone. He should be joining. Where, where is it? Where is it that, that Cliff Kingsbury is going? Thailand? Thailand. He should be on the next flight to Thailand right now. I mean, get, get him out of here. And I understand the Chargers are, are a very poor franchise and they're not willing to have that type of money committed to a coach. But like, I mean, I, I promise you this, they're totally going to have Lombardi be the scapegoat for this year, but next year you're going to see the same baffling decision-making. I mean, have we forgotten some of the stuff that Staley did this year that didn't fully – I mean, what about that time that he went for it on fourth down in their own territory against the Browns and the Browns missed the field goal that would have – like, 
it's just it was about time that all these little mistakes finally caught up to the Chargers, who have been a remarkably unimpressive team this year. And I frankly think all of our lives are better off without them and much better with the arrival of playoff Trevor. This man never lost on a Saturday. And he wasn't about to lose today. I mean, what can you say about that performance in the second half? I'm not ready to move on to the Jags here. Oh, you're still oh, – okay. I was trying to be graceful. You still want to punch on the Chargers but, here. The Chargers deserve more flack because you point back to that Browns game where he goes so aggressive in going for it on fourth down. Where is that aggression in the playoffs when you bring your kicker out to kick and make a two-score game – Still a two-score game. The field goal where he misses, that makes no sense. It doesn't give you an advantage in position possession. And you're at fourth and one on the 20-yard line. Why aren't you going for it there? In the moments where he needed to be aggressive on fourth down, he just totally cowered out. And it's just, it's baffling and I hate it. And, uh, you know, Another large reason why they weren't in this game was because he decided to play starters in week 18 <laughs> and Mike Williams broke his back. Oh, and, the Chargers. And the PFF numbers, the EPA, everything. When Mike Williams plays, the Chargers are a different level of offense. They are a different level of offense that is at the top of the NFL and can compete with anyone. And when they don't have him, they're average. They probably win this game with Mike Williams. Let's and, be honest. They barely lost it. And it's just, ah. Uh. So Bradford, to answer uh, a question yeah, you had while you were uh, speaking there, uh, since 2001, there has been two other times in the playoffs in which a team has had five turnovers and still lost the game. Uh, one of them being, drum roll please, the Chargers again. So two of those now have been the Chargers. Uh, I don't know how they do it, man. It's 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 pretty funny to me that in a season where the the Chargers were like uh, uh, supposed to be like in in a season where this was supposed to be the Chargers' year, the the. The way that everything systematically falls into the definition of chargering is is truly beyond comprehension at this point. It's like it's a curse. Would this have happened to any other franchise? Would they would any other franchise have lost Mike Williams in a meaningless game that they lost anyways? I mean, it 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 truly even blows my mind sometimes. As somebody who considers himself a proud historian historian in the history of chargering, I mean it's 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 so tough and i mean part of me feels bad for justin herbert but at the same time you put up three points in the second half you missed a wide open touchdown that would have put it away like i i i feel like this game does not do him very many favors uh in the argument that herbert fans have well he doesn't have a team around him that can win and you know all this stuff i mean you can't be putting up three points in the second half of playoff games like it's just, it's just not going to work that way yeah, I mean, you definitely nailed it on the Chargers this year. Like, I think at the worst, they have a top 10 roster and maybe you could even argue a top five roster in the NFL but do they... to finish 10 and 8. Like, if we're just evaluating roster, I think it's pretty damn good. You've got edge rushers, you've got not That's got Okay, weapons. that that's what we thought. But if we look at how the games were played, 
and how those right, additions played. Including and execution, it wasn't there. Not even close. Right. But also, I think management and, and general manager is also to blame. I understand that signing J.C. Jackson looks like a, a good move. He was injured most of the year, and when he played, he was by and large a liability for the secondary. Khalil Mack did not make a difference for this team and was hurt in the biggest spots as well. The additions they made did not work. They they, they failed. Well, I as mean, a... I'm not blaming them on the injuries. Like they tried to make this a, a dangerous roster, but the coaching just wouldn't have it. That's absolutely their fault. It's their fault they didn't have their top receiver in a very important playoff game that they yeah. barely lost. The game is their was, fault. That was a coaching decision to me, more so than management. I mean, okay, but what 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 management is letting Staley get away with this? Yeah, yeah this is, no, this that's is, fair. That's very like, fair. They're bringing him back. Staley's well, I mean, what management's allowing him to blow a twenty-seven point lead? I mean, I guess we're putting that on them too. Like, it's God. ridiculous. It's mostly I, on Staley to me. To me, it's just an organization organizational failure from top to bottom. Because for as much as you can point at one missed throw in the playoffs. Justin Herbert is still an elite quarterback. Absolutely. He's still a top six to eight NFL quarterback. And with one of those guys, you should at least be able to make it to divisional round weekend. And I think a big thing the Chargers have to look at, and I know I got flack for saying this before, but I, I feel in the Chargers case, it's true. You do have to get younger around Justin Herbert this, this offseason. Because Keenan Allen is hurt almost every year, and Mike Williams is hurt almost every year. And you need depth at skill position targets, and Austin Eckler's getting up there in age, and eventually he's going to slow down. They have to restock the cupboard around Justin Herbert and hope Brandon Staley can get the most out of his defense. They cannot, they if they're going to invest in trades again this year and in first round picks, they need to find. Justin Herbert is Stefan Diggs because Keenan Allen, for as good as he is, he's getting up there in age and he's hurt most of the time. And it, the, the same can be said for Mike Williams. They they need to find a consistent weapon for Justin Herbert to have. And then say those two get healthy and you have them next year, that's an unstoppable offense. But they need to invest big resources in getting younger and more consistent at the skill positions because they just – if you're running out Dion Carter again, like I know he was decent down the stretch, but like that that cannot be your answer as your third wide receiver. Like it it just it just can't be. You you have to go get some bigger name players to to surround Justin Herbert with. And I can't I can't wait for DeAndre Hopkins to play four games for this team next year. It's no it's, wait, it's, come on, Justin Jefferson's <laughs> got to be fed up with Kirk Cousins by now. <laughs> I, I I I think. The thing that really got me with this is, okay, you have always misunderstood, Eric, my main issue with the Chargers. It's not the Chargers themselves. The roster is by and large filled with pretty likable players. They have really nice, they have really nice uh, jerseys. It's it's not, I don't despise the Chargers the way that like, like the, the Chargers aren't gross, you know, like the thing. I'll, I'll just, let me just, just finish this, this point. But even my, my issue with the Chargers has always been the insane overhyping. It's like people are trying to trying to like, you know, bash them over your head. And five minutes after they blew a 27-nothing lead, I was hearing about how scary they were gonna be with Sean Payton as coach. 
fresh off blowing a 27-point lead, I'm hearing about next year's Chargers being good. It never stops. They never stop. Oh, my God. I literally couldn't go five minutes after they blew one of the most humiliating games in NFL history without hearing about how next year they're going to win the division. It never stops. I can't believe it. They just, I don't get it. Oh. Like, it's, it's ridiculous at this point. Like, what what more pain needs to be inflicted on these people before they know their place? Oh. Yeah, it's not based on any logic. You're right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'd say that's fair. I under, I understand that. I, I certainly won't be hyping them up going into next year unless they make massive offensive changes. And maybe even then, I'll, I'll be a little bit hesitant. But it, it, yeah, it, it if they do, they are kind of put, they do have kind of a different standard than everyone else. I think that is true. Briefly on the Jags, I think we'll talk about them more Thursday. This was not a good Trevor Lawrence game. Just like flat out was not. Um, You cannot play this way next weekend and expect to remain close. Maybe it's just playoff jitters. Some of the interceptions were weird bounces that weren't on him. But, and I know in, in the clutch, he came up, he did his thing and he threw four touchdowns when it mattered and, and had some nice throws throughout but you can't put up a 31 QBR against the Kansas City Chiefs and expect to be in this game. To me, I I did not view this as a coronation of Trevor Lawrence. I viewed this as he is still a very young, very inexperienced quarterback who makes some really dumb mistakes sometimes. And I, I think it's hard to crown him as a top five to six guy because he just has these games far too often. Like I know this year was good for him, but he had four or five of these games this season. Like it, 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 he is not a perfect quarterback. I just, I, I just, that's how I feel about Trevor Lawrence. At least I don't know if you're seeing something completely different when you watch him, Ryan, but I just felt like aside from like, he had five games where he looked absolutely special this year and about five games where he looked absolutely putrid. And then the other five to seven were just kind of washes where he missed a lot of throws, but in the end they were closer, ended up winning. I, I, I don't, and I get that adding Calvin Ridley has people excited. I'm still not fully sold on him as like, he's, he's definitely their best option moving forward but I'm not sold on him as this elite next up AFC quarterback, especially after a performance like this, he needs to be much better in Kansas city for me to believe anything of the sort. Yeah. Yeah. He's got, he's still got a long way to prove before he's at the level of the Mahomes, the Allens, the Burroughs, even the Lamar Jacksons of the world. But I mean, he's still just 23 years old and seeing those flashes at his age is still very impressive with what weapons he has. I think Doug Peterson has been really good for him. Like his rookie year with urban Meyer, like, he really didn't get that much coaching. Like that's a tough situation to be in. And that really would have just been his senior year in college. If we're also being honest, since he came out after three years at Clemson. So, uh, you know, I feel like this is kind of,
kind of more of what a kind of prototypical rookie year is. And all that considered, I think that he has shown a lot of flash and sure it's not perfect. And the turnovers in this game were really bad, you know, three multi uh, interception games this season, including the last playoff game to your point on that, Eric. But uh, you know, at his age, I, I still think there's a lot of potential there to be unlocked. I, I, I'm not willing to say he's, uh, you know, for sure in that lock of being a top tier AFC quarterback. But I think he's definitely well on his way towards uh, getting there because because of uh, the youth and, and the potential I see with his arm talent, his mobility. I see the traits, uh, you know, that kind of back it up uh, as well for kind of his long term development. But uh, yeah, I guess overall, to your point, you know, he's not there yet, but um, I'm still personally a big, big fan of Lawrence overall. Yeah, I think um, you made a good point there with uh, his rookie season kind of got obliterated by Urban Meyer being there. Like, I really do like to think of this as more his rookie season as far as, like, how I want to look at his career development arc. Because last season was just such a wash of just inadequacy and, and drama and fingering girls in bars. It was weird, and it was horrible for him to have to live through all of that garbage. But you know, again, if you just look at this like it's his rookie year, he's tracking so damn well for a rookie quarterback. The fact that he's won a playoff game already, despite all the inadequacies in his play, to to come out in the second half and overlook all of that and still be able to put together a nearly perfect pass rate, and if not perfect, I can't really remember where that ended up for a second half, like after having such an abysmal first half, that takes a lot of short memory and mental fortitude to be able to do something like that. And that's qualities you want in a guy you're going to make your franchise to be. So. Not once, but even during the entire meltdown the first half, did you see him freaking out on the bench? He sits there perfectly composed. You could see the whole demeanor on the team was still relatively calm. You can tell at halftime they went on there and they definitely felt like they could win. And they did. Like Trevor just has that air about him that some guys have where they're just so calm and composed. And yeah, he made some dumb mistakes, but he had like one of the best halves of football I've, I've seen it all year. He was, he was, he was incredible. And it's like, to be able to do that, and like Mason said, what is essentially his rookie year, I mean, this guy is such a monster. Like, I don't know. I I feel like I feel like it's it's really hard to, for me to come away from this thinking anything negative about Trevor Lawrence. I'll just say I'll, I'll just put it this way for people: the way Bradford feels about how I feel about Justin Herbert is the way I feel about Trevor Lawrence. I mean, you I just, were calling for Trevor Lawrence to lose his job this year. So, I mean. I just think we need to wait a little bit. I I, I know that. I, I he's agree that we get, need to wait. He's going to get better, but, and, and Calvin Ridley will help next year, but I I am not convinced they're going to keep it close this next weekend against the Chiefs. Uh, I, 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 I I'm, I'm interested to see how that plays out, but. Uh, I think people hyping that up as some kind of great quarterback matchup or, or not. Holy Lawrence look. won't outduel Mahomes. Looking. No, no, and it's Andy Reid of I. Like, that yeah. is like a superpower in and of that, itself. That's yeah. the one that, that's been bothering me is, and I do think the Jags will keep it more competitive than you guys think. I know how the Chiefs operate in these types of games. It's, it's a never-ending pattern. But it's crazy <laughs> to me. Seeing all the dis- – I mean, people really want the Jags to win this game, right? I mean, I was to feel uh-huh. good story. Everybody kind of hates the Chiefs. And the amount of people are saying, I would not want to play a Doug Peterson coach team right now. 
Maybe, but when the other coach is Andy Reid off a bye, are you kidding me? Oh, I don't want to play Trevor the way he's playing right now. Yeah, if only the league MVP was on the other side of the field. <laughs> like, let's let's rush. I will say, I do think there's a pathway here where maybe Stisco on the Jags, like, just pulls out a gun and shoots Mahomes uh, before the game starts. Then perhaps they will have a chance. And I would not put it past him, given his history against the Chiefs. But, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous to me that the narrative is like, I really wouldn't want to play these Jags right now. Sure. Sure, the Jags are for real, I think, but they're not as for real as the Chiefs are. Like, let's be real. Also, don't you think Andy Reid would want to put down the guy who took effectively his old team to the Super Bowl and won it? Like, yeah, absolutely, he would. And right? he was his own offensive coordinator. Yep. All right, moving on. Mason's team: the Buffalo Bills, the Miami Dolphins, thirty-four, thirty-one. The Bills about 424 yards total offense. Josh Allen 352 for the air, averaged nine plays and uh, nine yards an attempt, basically. Um, three touchdowns. And yet, here's where I I'll give it to Mason. I thought this was a terrible offensive performance by the Bills. I I thought it looked disjointed and ugly and like there were points in the first half where it really worked, but they were never able to sustain that. And it wasn't something we were used to like last year where they got the ball and just scored every drive against the New England Patriots. Box score wise, it looks like that, but this was this was not bad. I came away. My biggest takeaway from Wildcard Weekend was that the AFC fight is almost futile because the Bills and the Bengals are both severely overhyped teams right now. Uh, I, I and and to me, the Bills have major issues that they need to fix immediately or they will not keep up with either Cincinnati or Kansas City. Well, yeah. So, I mean, obviously you'd like to see those turnovers cleaned up, but one of them's on a bounced pass, which those are hard to do. The offensive line is a disaster. Like this next weekend, I think it's definitely going to come down between the two of them of whose offensive line can hold back the floodgates best because both of them are just desperately trying to keep their head above water and both are failing pretty miserably at it. And realistically, the offensive line for the Bills have been pretty bad all year. Josh Allen just does a boatload to cover that up all the time. Like he is constantly making a dude drag his shirt, pushing him off of him, running out of the pocket and and making a play there. And then everybody gets to go, oh, well, the offensive line did okay. They absolutely didn't. There was two free rushers on multiple plays. And I mean, it, it, it genuinely though, I, it, it was a total team failure. I mean, two different times, Sean McDermott calls a timeout and erases a positive play. Like erases a fourth down that they, succeeded on stopping uh and i can't remember what the other one was but man he has not found a timeout that he isn't willing to blow on a completely meaningless thing right there like that was a disaster um and i i think at the end of the day um a lot of what it's coming down to too is ken dorsey's inexperience as an offensive coordinator i think 
the difference you see in what the product they're putting on the field right now, all you have to do is look at what the Giants are doing. And you see the old Bills offense all over that. And and that's what we're missing was the creativity Brian Dayball used to bring to this. Uh, that Statue of Liberty play, like you can pull up five or six times the Bills used that over the past three years as well. And 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 so there's there's just like this lack of creativity or inexperience because, I, I mean, you go from a guy who in Josh Allen who had two red zone turnovers his entire career up until this year to having like seven or eight now this year alone, like – you, you can't tell me that that's all on him and that, that that can't be a product of the fact that there's a new offensive coordinator in there right now and that the system just isn't lining up quite right with what it is. It feels like it's just wildly aggressive all the time, and they just never seem to want to dial that back ever. And I know the Dolphins were just asking them to throw the ball deep, but, man, after the third wide receiver drops the ball or doesn't come back enough and it gets picked, like, can we stop throwing the ball 50 yards down the field and just take the easy throw once in a while? And, I mean, James Cook and Devin Singletary are both doing excellent. Both are averaging over 4.5 yards a carry in every game they play in. Can we give them more room to run the ball? Like, I just it's, – it's maddening to watch. You're not wrong that the offense did not look as quality as it was. They were the whole reason the Dolphins were in the game, was our offense. They played for both sides of the ball in that game. It, it, was, it was not fun to watch. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, I think you brought up a good point, Mason. When you talked about how like the Bills' offensive line is something that holds him back, but like Josh Allen just covers it up because he can kind of go Superman mode. Like you even kind of see that work against him in the turnovers. Like it sometimes it almost feels like he puts that pressure on himself, where he's like, "I feel like I have to do everything for this team because I'm not getting the time in the pocket. I got to get the ball to Stefan Diggs somehow." So he like tries to do everything on his own shoulders. You know, hasn't benefited from that consistent run game. Uh, you know, really at all in his career. I feel like so like I. I think those are all like good points that like, you know, Buffalo, while, you know, they definitely are a legitimate Super Bowl contender because of some of the, you know, top playmakers they have with Allen and Diggs and even Gabe Davis really has been showing out in the playoffs uh, over the last few years. Uh, you know, that kind of covers up a lot of the big flaw in the, in, in the front with the offensive line. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if that kind of gets exploited uh, or if the Bills are, are able to kind of get past that with their experience and coaching of McDermott and, and ability of Allen. I think that uh, that's really a big storyline to watch after you know giving up seven sacks to Miami including a defensive touchdown I think the Bills you know Eric talked about as being concerning for some of the AFC contenders I think the Bills performance was a lot more concerning than the Bengals one the Bengals was a little bit of a of a, of a slog fest division thing this was was worrying I thought I mean you guys have mostly said it all but I just thought everything that you think of the Bills is doing well they didn't do well I didn't have that same confidence that I usually do watching Josh Allen, that he's going to pull this off and, and, and make this crazy play and all this stuff. And I mean, they, they really should have lost to the Skyler Thompson dolphins. They got lucky with some, some ref nonsense and Mike McDaniels forgetting about the play clock, like six separate times. I have no idea what happened there, but honestly, I felt like the dolphins deserve to win this game. And that is not something you should be saying. Uh, when I mean you're the essential Super Bowl favorite heading in, it was just it was just a, a really concerning game all the way around. And I mean, like, I'm sorry, the Dolphins with 231 total yards. Dolphins that that Dolphins you thought deserved to win this game. I kind 
kind of did. I I don't know. It just the, the it Dolphins just, with a quarterback who went eighteen of forty five. That that Dolphins. That's the one I you was thought this did game, and should have won the game. Watching this game, I felt like the Dolphins played with more heart, with more guts, with more baseline intelligence than the Bills did. I was very impressed with what they did given the circumstances, and I think Buffalo got extraordinarily lucky that they put up that type of performance against a team that uh, 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 offensively challenged. I mean, they'd still put up 31 points on them. Like, watching all this happen as Tony Romo rambles about Josh Allen being Mr. January. Oh, my God. And saying stuff like, here comes the onslaught as he throws, like, an end zone fumble for, like, it was just rough, like. I do, I do want to get to some commentator talk a little bit later because they <laughs> yeah. really show up in the playoffs. But, oh, my God, I have totally flipped on Tony Romo. I cannot stand Tony Romo anymore. He has just gone way – he's either gotten too self-aware or uh, so, something has changed. And I will say this, though, Mason. I, I know what you're hearing from Bradford is, is hard to believe, but I kind of agree with him. The, the Dolphins' defense especially was the most dominant unit in this game. I, I was, oh, I'll give you that. Their defense was excellent, but their I, offense was absolutely putrid. And if it wasn't for I, kicking a ball out of bounds on a kickoff and, like, all these weird circumstances that happened, they would have never even been in scoring range. I know, but their defense kept a minute. And, I mean – Jalen Phillips has been absolutely dominant down the stretch. They bought in Bradley Chubb to help, but he has not been their best defensive lineman. It has been Jalen Phillips. And who's their other who's their other guy? I'm blanking on the name right now as I furiously sort through. No, Bradley uh, Chubb has not been their best defensive player, but the, he's been good. But like there's been you're right. They've had some quality on the their stats. Line. Yeah. And, and I mean, Holland as well. Yeah, yeah, Javon Holland. Oh my God, he balled out in this game. I thought Javon Holland, but, Canadian but, legend, bro. But what I what Represent. I enjoy, what I enjoy is the narrative though that the Bengals went through a divisional slugfest, despite the fact that this is a division game as well. Okay, but they went through a divisional slugfest against a, a, a team that is no. I, I think that's game. no. I think that's I think that's unfair. I think there were very similar Bradford. I think that's unfair. I think this. I was, think the Bengals game was concerning, but watching the Bengals game, I think both teams should come game. away very concerned. I'm more concerned about the Bills, and I'm also concerned, concerned about the offensive line, and they're going to have to start off the street on the Bengals. Yeah, well, that, that, that's very concerning. Was doing great. I mean, we'll, yeah, we'll get to the Bengals here are, shortly. But at least but, they played but, football before. I just felt like the way the Ravens are constructing, the way that these AFC North game goes, AFC North games go, they always kind of feel like this, and it felt like an AFC North game. This did not feel like a Bills game, is is what I'm saying. This but, felt- no, but look at the AFC East games from this year. They've all been actually relatively close. They, they, I, I support. I'm not saying a bunch that, of good teams. Mason, Mason, Mason. I'm not saying that the Bills season is over. You and I no, both no, know damn I'm well. Saying, you're not the only person using that narrative. It's like, oh, the I'm, Bills stunk it up against the Dolphins. But, man, the Bengals went through this weird AFC North slug. I'm not impressed with the Bengals' like, performance either, but I just – I don't know. I'm not targeting you specifically. I'm just saying I like, there's feel, this national – 
middle narrative, like, ooh, the Bengals made it, got it done in the slug, divisional slugfest, but, man, the, the Bills couldn't, could not barely get it done. Did, it like, did you watch the game, though? Like, it was pretty bad. Like, have you heard? Did you hear what I said? All I'm saying is I think the way that it's being framed narratively is kind of garbage. Considering, okay, I again, agree with the right. did It's a little a unfair. How many three and outs did the Bills have? I think two maybe total. How many did they have in a row in the fourth quarter for the Bengals? They should have lost that. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah, the Bengals are cooked. They do not stand okay. a chance. I, 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 I need to jump in here. This has been a good debate. I want to briefly touch on one spot of reporting that I found interesting. Chris Greer expects Tua Tagovailoa to come back next year. I'm sorry, can you try the last name there again? Did I say that wrong? I just want to hear you say it again. Chris Greer? No, not that yeah. one. <laughs> yes, nailed it. Got it. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa? That's better. <laughs> I think maybe my... my, my Did I not say that right? When you said it, because okay. it sounded like you were speaking like an alien language, and I was like, what is happening? <laughs> Great. I will just say, I, personally, I know... Chris Gore can say whatever he wants. He's a GM. He has to say what he has to say. I will be shocked if Tua comes back next year. I will be personally shocked with the reporting that came out this offseason and the fact he had three separate concussions this year. I will be personally shocked if he returns to this team. I think the Dolphins potentially have a massive offseason coming up. Uh, I think, too. I, I'll take you on on that. I think Tua starts week one for the Dolphins. Okay. Uh, I just I just disagree with some of the reporting that's been done by Albert Breer and other national reporters on he had serious conversations about stepping away from football last year with his family. I think after three concussions, you cannot rule that out. Uh, I, I just I just I do I do think there's a chance he's not back next year. Moving on to what was honestly exactly what I wanted was. This game, we went into this weekend saying this will be the weirdest, most entertaining game of the weekend. And I I really do think it was. Uh, the Giants, the Vikings. Uh, but enter- entertaining in such a different way. Uh, Giants win 31-24. There's really no place to start that's not Daniel Jones. 24 for 35, 300 yards, two touchdowns, 78 yards on the ground. Just a tremendous offensive performance, the best offensive performance of Daniel Jones' career in the biggest moment. It, I mean, I've been wrong about a lot of stuff, but he's but, sorry, but like. What, what what are you about to say, Bradford? I, I was going to say, he might just be the best quarterback in the state of New York. I mean, what what can you say? He's he's uh, <laughs> That was an incredible performance, though. I, I, isn't he in the state of New Jersey, Bradford? Oh! He got him. He got him. They do go by the New York Giants, to be fair. He got him. To be fair. Not even the correct point, Bradford. Wow, what a terrible interruption by you. Let me tell you. I didn't even have to do it. That's what I like. I got to sit by and just let it. I I got you, Mason. I was just told by so many people when I said two weeks ago, 
look, don't look now, but Daniel Jones is playing like a top 15 NFL quarterback. I was just laughed out of a room by everyone on the Zoom call. Nobody cared about crowd. that point, Eric. You don't guess, get to do victory laps about this. Nobody was like, you're I'm crazy. Just saying, Nobody cares about who you think is the 15th best quarterback. You don't get to take victory saying, laps about that. that okay. That's literally the most middle of the pack a pick can Fine. be. I think this guy is the most average guy. Nobody's going to go to war against you. But he played like a top 10 quarterback this weekend. And well, it was an MVP type performance. I'm not. I'm no, not it, was. it was. I mean, I think if there was anybody else to talk about, though, Saquon Barkley was incredible, too. Yeah, like, Saquon also had... played a good game. But really, the Giants, everyone played well, aside from a terrible drop at the end that he got Maybe. bailed out on. Darius Slayton had a good game. Isaiah Hodgins is just a guy they picked up off the street, basically, four weeks ago. The Bills need somebody who can catch a pass, and he was on our freaking team, and, and we just let him wander off to the Giants. And he 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 really did perform in this one. Richie James had a few nice catches. His ankle is, like, swollen as shit, too, and he put out 105 yards up. Like, come on. It's also hard to have – a more dominant game than Dexter Lawrence did, who, by the way, ended up being the all-pro at defensive tackle. Um, the Giants are low-key, semi-loaded um, with guys that are just being coached really, really well. Do I think they'll beat the Eagles this weekend? I don't know. I haven't gotten to that point yet. But I think it's going to be extremely close, and I'm just incredibly impressed with Daniel with Daniel Jones because he started out the season being limited, but as the season went on, you can tell Brian Dable put more and more trust in him, and now he does look like their quarterback of the future. And if Daniel Jones, I, let's see him do this again against the Eagles potentially, and and keep it close against the Eagles. But I'm not that far away from believing that Daniel Jones is a franchise answer for the New York Giants. Is that crazy to think, Ryan? I know. I, 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 I kind of I, think, I think it, it is it might crazy be. to think. It might be crazy. He, like, he I, don't think been, they're, I don't think they're paying Daniel Jones, like, of franchise. Course, of course. I think, I think a, a, a reasonable Daniel Jones contract looks like five to seven years for a hundred million dollars with like 60 to 70 million dollars guaranteed like a a semi kyler murray type deal maybe a little bit under well yeah, i mean i i would i i don't even think i would take daniel jones as much as kyler murray uh honestly but i think that may be you know a fair contract comparable but like I, I don't know if the Giants are necessarily going to have much of a choice. I think they're going to have to keep Daniel Jones for next season because, like, they haven't had <laughs> this kind of young he, core bringing up, and they could risk really kind of messing things up if they, you know. He uh, has back. improved, though, and he was he improved, the best. But I still feel like he, he's got a ceiling as a player. He doesn't have the deep ball that you want uh, in, a, in an elite quarterback. I feel like he still just kind of works it in over the middle against the tight ends, and in a game like this against the Vikings, it works enough for him uh to get the job done and yeah he would certainly benefit from better receivers like without a doubt their receiving core is horrible and their offensive line is still very young at tackle and can you know certainly seek some improvements so i think you could build around daniel jones and have some success but i feel like he's still kind of like a cap 
quarterback. I'm not sure if, you know, he could be kind of that guy that could take him over the top to where they could compete in some of these, you know, big time NFC playoff games. You know, we'll see if he proves me wrong and, and knocks off the Eagles, but uh, I, I'm still very skeptical of, of kind of what his ceiling is overall, you know, as a quarterback. And that was a concern I have even before he got drafted, uh, you know, sixth overall for the Giants. I just feel more bullish on Daniel Jones. It's hard for me to argue against that point because I know the sample size is small, but over the last month, he has looked incredible. And he, he, he well, I don't want to pay a guy because of a good month. I mean, he's, you've had him for four years and he didn't pick up his option. If you really loved him, you know, you would have picked up that fifth year option. And, uh, you know, that wasn't the case. I, I don't, guys, know, I don't think the Ravens regretted Joe Flacco. Yeah. yeah. Guys mature at a different rate. I mean, I, I know it's, cheap because it's brian dable but josh allen wasn't any good his first three years in the league and i mean i i don't think jones and and josh allen are exactly comparable i think allen always possessed I the compared them as a joke now we're just doing like unironic daniel jones bro mason i know he i think joe flacco is a fair count steaming right now yeah. i could just i could just feel it through the zoom screen mason is about to explode no i'm just i'm i'm just lost at this point i can't even can't <laughs> Okay, Eric, no, I want to find out what you think like, about the Vikings, though. Like, the Vikings, yeah. they just lost. Like, they were such frauds despite yeah. winning the division. Like, what is next for them? Well, they need help. I, I tweeted this out on Saturday. Uh, they need help at literally every position on their defense. Literally oh, every Okay, what I would say is, like, they're going to get help in the secondary, though, because they're going to get Lewis Seen and Andrew Booth back, who are their top two picks, and both of them got injured. Like, that's a little misfortunate. Like, they will get a boost from those two young players that I... I know, but still, I think your defense is, was, by and large, the worst in the league this oh, year, yeah, and totally. it got covered up by luck. Um, I mean, in the end, you are what you've signed up to be. Like... As long as you have Kirk, I know it's easy to blame Kirk Cousins for everything, but in the end, you lose this because Kirk Cousins throws short of the sticks. This whole game, the, the whole fourth quarter was absolutely crazy with how much stuff that went on. I mean, one, you have a roughing the passer call that is just totally a joke and like cannot be taken seriously in any way, shape, or form. And then your quarterback throws a terrible pass on third down and sets you up for third and long and ends up throwing short of the sticks on fourth and long and and you lose the game and it's just it's hard to see how the team moves forward as long as Kirk Cousins is there because as long as Kirk Cousins is there they will be this team they will be just good enough to make the playoffs and they will end up losing in the playoffs because you even with a new offensive-minded head coach, who I think did a great job, I thought the Vikings' offense was a good offense this year. I I, I really did. Um, I know the numbers might not say it all the time, but I thought Kevin O'Connell, as an offensive coordinator, did an excellent job. I thought they were a really good offense. But as long as you're kind of constrained by Kirk Cousins, this is this is what you're going to get. And it's just a matter of time, I think until Justin Jefferson gets the player empowerment bug and says, I don't want to be here anymore because like he's not being maximized with Kirk cousins. He wasn't maximized in this game. I mean, the fact that Justin Jefferson 
only had seven receptions in this game and was targeted, I believe, eight times. And TJ Hawkinson is the leading receiver is is somewhat mind boggling. I know they double covered him most of the day, but like still you have to occasionally draw plays to get Jefferson in, involved. To me, I don't know. Maybe it is lazy analysis, but I just will never. I will. I will not believe in the Vikings as a, a, a true team that can actually do things until Kirk Cousins is gone. I got close this year. I got sucked in a few times, but ultimately, I never thought Kirk Cousins was in this team. And I think I picked the Giants, right, Mason? Uh, nope. Oh, did I pick the Vikings? Yeah. <laughs> That that was tough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't blame you for that one. I shouldn't have I said that the one as well. Yeah, I, I I think I don't know. Maybe just I've been a Kirk defender this year, and maybe that's just wrong. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe. How many is, years is it gonna take, man? Maybe like, this Jesus. is just what he is. I I agree that Kirk has his deficiencies, but here. that just feels I, like such lazy analysis to me for some reason. Well, I, I feel know. like characterizing this as all Kirk Cousins' fault is a little unfair. I mean, this is Ed Donatello's and that's, fault. And, but sorry, that wasn't directed at you, Bradford. That feels like no, lazy no, 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 analysis no. by me to just say. No, no, Kirk no. no. Kirk it's, it's, how can you avoid it, right? Yeah, like it's yeah. kind of the Kirk Cousins. I don't blame you for it at all. That's how Kirk Cousins is. He's literally the most polarizing NFL player I've uh, in my lifetime, anyways. Outside of like guys that like you know committed like serious crimes, like Kirk didn't really do anything wrong. But yeah, Henry Ruggs know. a little bit more polarizing. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit more polarizing. But I I don't know. I feel like Kirk came through with so many clutch performances this year, and it's not like Justin Jefferson was was streaking down the field and Cousins was missing him this whole game. I mean, Jefferson didn't really like take over the game like he can. Like I don't know. I I feel like. I, I agree with all your points about Kirk Cousins, and I know that's the feeling that he leaves in everybody's mouths. I mean, it's, it's just a bad taste. But at the same time, I mean, this defense is such a joke. Like, just absolutely pathetic. And I, you got to imagine that, like, if they have a remotely competent defense, they could have very easily won this game, and we wouldn't – we'd be having a conversation about how Kirk came through for them in this game, you know? Like, obviously, that last pass is ridiculous. Unforgiving. Like, you can't do that. But, like – I don't know. I didn't feel like Kirk had a terrible game. Like it's, it's tough for me to just always lay it at the feet of Kirk, but at the same time, the volume stats for him kind of speak for themselves. When you consider how it always just seems like he leaves the impression that you, that he didn't get it done, even when he does, you know? Well, that last play, man, that is what's going to stick in your mind because it's like, I don't care what's happening to Justin Jefferson. You need those yards. Don't throw it short of the sticks. Throw it at Justin Jefferson. At least you can go down knowing you tried to make your best possible shot. Like, that feels crazy to me. It's just tough. It's tough to see where the Vikings go from here. They do do feel like a team trapped in limbo. Um, Mainly because of experience, though. Mainly because of quarterback. Yeah, just sucks the joy out of everything. That guy. I don't know what it is. There's just sometimes some people are just such soda crackers. It's just it's it's unbelievable how they just they, no matter what they do, it still tastes like a soda cracker at the end of the day. And I don't think anybody's ever been like, man, I could really go for a soda cracker right now. You know what I mean? 
Like, I, I guess it's 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 food. Like, you can eat a soda cracker, and it's not going to kill you. But, like, nobody has – nobody really wants a soda cracker. And that's kind of what Kirk is, you know? Ravens-Bangles divisional slugfest, as we pointed out earlier. Bengals win 24-17. I want to start with the Ravens here because – to me, the Ravens are much more interesting. Two shocking things uh, that I that I observed. One, I am still shocked Greg Roman has a job as of this hour. Um, he, he The play calling throughout the season for the Ravens has been somewhat inexcusable. Even with Lamar Jackson, when they lost weapons, they became unwatchable as an offense, basically. And on a large part due to Greg Roman, he also calls a quarterback sneak at the two-yard line without giving it to J.K. Dobbins, who has torn up the field most of the night against the Bengals. That that made no sense. That's shock one. Shock two is going to be a shocking thing, I say. Oh, God. Moving forward... I really think there is a chance they go forward with Tyler Huntley. I do think that there's a more than ten percent, more than twenty percent chance that. Do you think they'll let Lamar walk? Yeah, I think you they trade could. him. I think they could, or or you trade him. I mean, you trade him. You don't just let him go for nothing. You definitely would get something great for Lamar Jackson. But I think one way or another, Tyler Huntley is in the mix to compete for a starting job next year. And I, I, I know his last month was not his best play, but you saw in this game what he offers, which is a quality starting NFL quarterback who can throw the ball. He had a good day passing, 17 for 29, 226 yards, two touchdowns, and a guy that can hurt you with his legs. The Ravens become one of the most fascinating teams this offseason because of Lamar. But if they wanted to tag him and move him, I I wouldn't argue with it because at this point he does have major injury concerns and you just need to redo the offense. And I think if Greg Roman has a job by the next time we record on Thursday, I'll be extra shocked. I do think a change is coming there. I I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about this Ravens season because it, it does feel like they got better on defense throughout the year. But in the end, the problem that the Ravens have is the problem they've had for the past five years, which is they just do not have a dynamic offense. Even when Lamar plays and is fully healthy, in the, which he hasn't played a playoff game at this point in three years, like the, they're at a crossroads right now, I think. I really do think it is a tough decision whether you bring Lamar back or not. I, I would sign Lamar Jackson for sure if I was the Ravens. I, I think that like after he left, and yeah, there's reason for criticism of the you know offensive philosophy there. Like They are still built to run the football, and there is no better quarterback to do that with than Lamar Jackson. So I think but that they – In the games, like even in the games where he was healthy this year without key weapons, Lamar Jackson, I would argue, had the worst year of his career this year. He had one hot stretch of three games in September and then disappeared. 
you, you would definitely demand a high contract and you would have to pay him, you know, like elite money. So like, it, it makes sense why it's a tough decision, but I, I don't know. I, I personally think like you could, you could see a lot of regret if they let Lamar Jackson out the door and they move forward with Tyler Huntley and, uh, you know, they still experience similar challenges to, you know, get explosive plays. And then you go see Lamar Jackson, you know, go off for another team, breaking off explosive runs, you know, that could be pretty tough for a team to to deal with. I, I think if it were me, I would definitely go in and I would pay Lamar Jackson. If I were there. I, under, I understand the arguments for moving on to a different type of quarterback and different type of offense. But if you like the Tyler Huntley experience, then just get the Lamar Jackson experience, which is basically the same thing, but much, much better. Like if I, I, I can see, I don't think you're crazy for suggesting that Lamar could be gone. I, I mean, he definitely seems very unhappy with the situation. He didn't fly out for the playoff game, like all this stuff. Hey, no, that's that's actually unfair. The reason he didn't fly out for the playoff game is because of the rehab schedule he's on. Mm, um, okay, I didn't, I didn't know that. Talked about it. Pat McAfee actually talked about it pretty extensively. It's actually like a really common thing for players, especially one like Lamar Jackson, who's rehabbing and trying to get back to not travel with their teams because of their rigorous rehab schedule. It's actually them taking the time to try to be back. That, that makes sense. I, I still think it's fair to say, though, there's some ill feelings between the two parties here. Like, oh, that's kind of absolutely fair. Yeah. Um, and I think, honestly, if there was a player ever that was a quarterback who I think the situation, like, from a GM standpoint, deserves it, this might be the time to franchise tag a guy, see if he can get through a whole year stretch without having – to take three, four games off due to injury and then talk about a paycheck after that. But what if he refuses to play the, on a tag? Yeah, what if he refuses to play on the tag? Because that's I where mean, we're they getting. they could be petty as shit about it. That's where we're getting. Because Lamar, from the reports out of Lamar's camp, and Lamar's camp is Lamar because he's represented by himself, he does, not want, he does not want to play on a tag. That, and that's like he, he's mean, made that clear since last summer. It just, it, yeah, and, and that's fair. So I guess, you know, that's trying to call his bluff on that sort of a thing. I just think, minus that bit of information, this would be the perfect guy to use it on. Again, whether or not they do and stuff is it remains to be seen. Again, probably not with the way he's been talking. But my argument is not that it is smart to move on from Lamar Jackson, my argument is that it is a real discussion that you have to have is if you want to sink your future into this guy. Because we know he is a talented quarterback. I am never going to argue that Lamar Jackson is not a talented quarterback. But we have also seen that without weapons, he does not, in the passing game, elevate the level of the people around him. And his most valuable asset is his legs, and he has had two major leg injuries over the past two years. I do think it is a difficult decision. I, I I do not envy the Ravens front office. I think they could, it, because what's to say they give him a huge contract and he just goes out in November again. Like he has not played a full season in almost two seasons. Like, I I don't know. I think there's major hesitant reason for hesitancy around extending him. That's I think just they, my uh, I think they extend him and draft uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson to be his backup. Hmm. Maybe. Yeah. I. 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 I don't know. 
I just I don't know how to feel about the Lamar Jackson situation. We're we're gonna figure it out. I guarantee you he will be one of the most talked about figures on this podcast for about the next three months. Uh well, probably month and a half until the, the trade deadline and, and things kick back up again. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how it plays out. The Bengals, on the other hand, I'm more concerned by the Bengals than I am the Bills because the Bengals lost are now likely without three of their starting five offensive linemen and now are experiencing the same issues they had last year. And that's fine. You you can make the argument, well, Joe Burrow did it with no line last year, but it's, it's very hard to accomplish that two years in a row. And you saw, especially late in that game, the line was a real detriment to the way Joe wanted to play. And their best quarters came when they were healthy in, in the first if they're missing their guys for this Buffalo game, Buffalo's pass rush isn't the best in the world, but they're certainly good and they can make things difficult for Joe Burrow. I am, I am very concerned about the Bengals. I think they got extremely unlucky and they just lost for most valuable. And frankly, what made their team dangerous down the stretch was the fact the offensive line had started to gel in early November and and now they've they've kind of lost that and it's hurt the running game and it's hurt their passing game and and without that the defense is good we've just seen that the defense won them that game but can they do it against the Buffalo Bills I I don't know it 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 seems unlikely and Eli Apple is is a problem again uh, all yeah. of a sudden after having a pretty good regular season played a really terrible game against the Ravens. Yeah, I think like the biggest discrepancy to me between Bengals and Bills is the cornerback room. I really like what Buffalo has and Cincinnati doesn't have much. So that could be your difference in a matchup between two teams with struggling O-lines, but really good receivers on the outside, which corners can hold up against these star receivers. And I think that's advantage Buffalo for me. That's going to be probably the biggest matchup right there is just how both defenses take advantage of how bad the offensive lines are and trying to just maintain cover on these receivers. Cause again, they won't have to do it for very long on either side. Right. And Trey white finally looks like he's regaining at least a little bit of his form again. Not as injured as they were starting the year. And man, if the Bills could just make it like two more games, we might get two defensive studs back. Micah Hyde is trending in the right direction, hit his 21-day period a week ago. Won't be playing this game for sure, but he he was the reason that that back end was so good. Well, one of, but missing him has been huge. Yeah. But the the Bengals, I mean, their offensive quality is still so good, even with that offensive line being bad. So I still see it being like a pretty decent scoring affair. It's not going to be some defensive slog fest. I agree. Both QBs are just too special to let that happen. It'll it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I'm just concerned about the Bengals. I'm, I'm concerned about... how deep they can go because of the clear limitations to their offensive line. And I think Buffalo's offensive line for as critical as you, you were of them, Mason played much better than the Bengals did. And 
it's just, I don't know. It's difficult. It's difficult to see Joe Burrow have this kind of adversity. I feel like of all the quarterbacks that we talk about in Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, I feel like Burrow has by far faced the most adversity in his career thus far and had to make the most of the least. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Finally, we'll wrap this thing up, hopefully get out of here under two hours. Cowboys, Bucks. Can we start with Brett Maher? Yeah, start with Brett Maher. It's hard to believe that the Cowboys are going to go with him going into the divisional round. Uh, I don't know how they can. Um, It feels very difficult to sell that to your team and coaching staff to to try him out there again because that that was just one of the worst kicking performance we've ever seen in the playoffs. Four missed extra points. Like how? Like we're not even talking field goals here. Like we're talking extra points, man. Gosh. It was if you wanted to see a quarterback lose their composure on the sideline, look no further than Dak Prescott, because I, I mean that was a dude losing his freaking mind out there. And for good reason. Like, how do you miss four of them? Can't happen. <laughs> The fact that he still has a job is unbelievable. Because, like, at this point, let's just pick up some soccer player off the street, man. He can probably do a better job than that. God. I would, Like, isn't playoffs, isn't that, like, the worst time, too? Because, like, do the practice squad rules change at all? Like, are you allowed to still leech off anyone's practice squad at this time of the year? I don't know, actually, how that works. Like, yeah. uh, I, I don't know what options they really have. Uh, you know, so because like he was good during the regular season, which is extra weird. Like, how are you missing four PATs like as soon as it starts mattering in the playoffs? I I personally cheered so hard when he made that fifth one. That was that was the moment of this game yeah. that I'll always remember was when I honestly props to Mike McCarthy for sending him out there again just to get him the one. So just there's a little bit because I mean. If he went into the next game, especially after facing four of them, and he didn't make one, I feel like it would be so much worse. Like the psychological compounding. Well, what if he missed the fifth, man? Like, is he? Uh, oh, know? that would have been. I mean, it would have been really fun. I, the, the thing with this game to me is, it just kind of felt like the comeback that never was meant to be. A little bit like yeah. those extra points. They're just. I, I heard someone describe them as Chekhov's extra points which is so perfect. Like, that's exactly what they were. It was a perfect setup for a classic Cowboys choke, a classic Tom Brady comeback. And it just, the, the Byron Leftwich <laughs> was not about to let that happen. Not on his watch. I mean, I will say though, and you guys can lie if you want, but when Mike Evans was streaking down the field with two minutes to go wide open and he just missed him, don't lie. There was a part of you that was just like, maybe despite all mathematical possibilities just for a second everybody was like oh my god and the fact that that even happened in this game scenario may be the most legendary achievement of brady's career yeah that that (laughs) could have been a td for sure like oh my god but like the fact that like with him this the impossible felt like maybe the inevitable with the extra point and it just never happened Dak played the best game of his career he was yeah absolutely incredible yeah i mean it's it's 
I've been critical of Dak this year. Rightfully but, so. But this this was incredible. And it's a big ask. But if the defense played the way it did, Micah Parsons absolutely dominated this game as he has dominated most games this year. To me, he is the defensive player of the year. Uh, if Leighton oh, Van Der Esch wow, is, Nick Bosa. If Leighton Vanderesh is flying all over the place the way he was in this game, if Tony Pollard is playing the way he, he played in this game, which was a really good averaging five yards a carry. By the way, they, they just need to work, they just need to get out of Ezekiel Elliott this this offseason. That is the nut. He, he is no longer a starting caliber running back. I think he could be a nice addition as a backup or a third string guy on some team, but you can no longer run him out there even as a goal line back. This needs to be Tony Pollard and Tony Pollard's room alone. Um, I think Cowboys fans have been saying that for like three years now, but yeah. it's time for Jerry to actually use his eyes and listen if Dak Prescott can stay hot, which he has at points in his career, and the defense plays the way it did, they can absolutely beat the San Francisco 49ers. And I think the Cowboys, the whole tenor of their season changes with this win because it felt like everyone was expecting them to lose this game and go into the offseason with major questions. And they showed up, and they played their best game, and they won. And I, I, it just changes the outlook of Dallas's season entirely. To me, even if they lose next weekend, you have to view this playoff run as a success simply because they beat a team that everyone expected them to lose to. They'd be an eight and nine team. Like, I don't, I mean, I understand what you're saying psychologically, but I wouldn't backtrack on all your Cowboysing takes just yet. Hold firm, hold firm one week longer because I don't know. I mean, yeah. I'm a little more confident in the Cowboys than before, but don't tell me that you can't see the ultimate Cowboys in taking place next week against the Niners. I feel no, like typically when the Cowboys break down, it's in the divisional round. So absolutely. And but if the Prescott picks start coming, look out. They will. That's the thing. I mean, Dak played an incredible game, but I mean, listen, you're not going to have the type of chances that the Bucks were giving you, you know, like the, just, just, I'm so happy this Bucks team is out of my life for this year. Like just anemic in every sense of the word. And the Cowboys uh, will not have that luxury against the Niners. And I just, I don't know. I feel like I've been waiting for the McCarthy moment and it's going to happen next week. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't completely listen you, Eric, you've been very vocal about the Cowboys being potential frauds. And I hear all your points on that. Just hold, hold for a minute one more week, because I think you might still find them disappointing. Not to you, who predicted them to suck, but disappointing in the sense of expectations. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. The Buccaneers have the most bleak future out of any team that lost this weekend. That's just a fact. Yeah. One, Tom Brady will walk, either retire or choose another team. And I don't think the market for him is going to be super hot. I, I think he showed major yeah. signs. I don't know. I don't agree with that. Really? I think he is. I, I don't think you can argue he, he hasn't regressed this year in a massive way. I think he, he has is no longer a difference making quarterback. He has to have a perfect situation. I would no point running. to 2019. That's all. I would say he has to have the perfect system around him for him to be a successful NFL quarterback. I think there'd be someone willing to give it to him. We'll see. Um, I, I, I certainly 
I, I'm kind of done siding with Tom Brady. I, I feel like his career is is past its prime. But you look at the rest of the roster, your running backs were Leonard Fournette and Rashad White. Rashad White barely played this year, and when he did, didn't look anything other than like a stopgap running back. Your wide receivers are getting old. You're, they're Chris Godwin, Julio Jones, and Mike Evans. You don't really have anyone at tight end. Your defense. I, I like Kate Otten. Your defense, by and large, is getting up there in age. They don't have a pass rush outside of Vita Vea. They have some promising. Back. They have some promising pieces defensively, but they are not what they expect it to be. And the biggest issue is you have Todd Bowles as your head coach. And that Todd is Bowles, And Todd Bowles just has no business being an NFL head coach. And Byron Leftwich has no business being an NFL offensive coordinator after this year. And if you run this back with a non-Tom Brady-type figure next year, there's no doubt in my mind this team is picking in the top five. Like yeah, they are, I, they are, I, they are just. Uh, to me, they are, they were, and still are the worst roster in the playoffs. And they. Yeah, I, I don't. I do not feel good about what's ahead for the Bucks. I, I think a lot of pain lies ahead. Yeah, I think it's a it's a bleak future for Tampa Bay as well. I think Brady's probably done. Um, I there there is maybe a you know a, a glimmer of hope in some of those guys that you mentioned on the roster, but I think Bowles as the coach really kind of holds you back. You know, you think back to when he was with the Jets and just how limited they were. And, you know, the change from, you know, Brady was coming off, you know, still what was one of the better years of his career a year ago uh, when he initially announced his retirement before coming back and into this year, which certainly was not his best. But uh, I still think there may be a little bit of gas left in that tank for him elsewhere. But um, just with how things ended, it seems like everything kind of fell through this year. Uh, underachieving Bucks team, I, I could see him moving on, but I think there would be suitors for him. Like the Jets, I think will definitely be interested. The Raiders, the Colts, like I think there's a handful of teams that would have an owner that would be like, yes, we would like Tom Brady over what we had last year. Still, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I, I think he should walk away personally. I, I don't think the next chapter ends particularly well for Tom Brady, um, but we'll see. I mean, he's he's proven us wrong his entire career, so we we could be, but I I really do think that his best days are behind him at this point oh, as a quarterback, I... and uh, I I don't I don't view him as especially if he goes to the AFC he is does not make the team that he goes to a contender like that is that is not the way it works he 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 does he is not on the level of the other top quarterbacks in that conference. Um, yeah. So that's super wild card weekend. Ryan, you and you alone are going to take us out here. Just give us some things to watch in Giants Eagles, and then we will head out of here because this has gone on for a while now. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Giants-Eagles, uh, you know, two division teams, you know, we had a lot of those matchups in the super wildcard weekend, which was uh, always a fun new addition to the name of wildcard weekend. But I mean, I think specifically, this is a matchup that the Eagles in head-to-head -head games have dominated against the Giants. They're winners of three straight, 11 of 13, 15 of 18 against a division team. That's almost unheard of to have that kind of dominance against someone uh, within your own division. There's a lot of veterans on the Eagles like Brandon. 
Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox on a defensive line, which has been among the strengths of the Eagles, not to mention their offensive line with Kelsey and Lane Johnson coming back from injury. You know, those guys have, have been in a lot of these games head to head against the Giants and, and come out on the winning side, uh, you know, coming off a bye, coming off some rest. Uh, it, to me, there's a, a lot of confidence that the Eagles will be uh, ready to go and, and have no uh no, you know, challenges in knocking off the Giants. Not to say it won't be a competitive game. Brian Dable's group has competed all season, knocking off the Vikings last week on the road after losing there earlier in the regular season is a great example to look at. And I'm sure a lot in the media will look at that week 18 game, which was a must win for the Eagles playing their starters while the Giants were playing a lot of their third stringers and it finished out in just a one possession game. So a lot of reason to think that a full Giants team can compete with the Eagles, but uh, given, you know, I think what is, uh, you know, a, a longstanding history of success, uh, larger playmakers and, and difference makers on the Eagles roster and uh, a little bit extra rest as well. Uh, I think those are all contributing factors why it makes sense why the Eagles are over a touchdown favorite at home and uh, should be able to knock off the Giants in uh, the divisional round to host uh, the NFC title game against either Dallas uh, or San Francisco. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I think that game is going to be close. I think I'd take the Giants to cover a seven-point spread. I do think it will be a, a tightly contested ball game. But people do forget that the, you know, the Eagles were able to run on the Giants when they last met. And that was the biggest difference. And if Dexter Lawrence is playing the way he has played over the last few weeks... I think maybe they stand more of a chance, but it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. If you want to give a quick plug to your other pod and where people can find you on social media, we'll get out of here. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks again for having me on, Eric. Always appreciate it. Happy to uh, hop on for draft season as well. One of my favorite times of the year. Uh, always enjoy chatting prospects, and uh, it's good to keep me honest on uh, my own film study too. So, uh, yeah, definitely keep in touch on uh, social media. You can follow me on Twitter at Roadkill823. Uh, I love tweeting about the birds and uh, some draft thoughts uh, over there. And uh, catch my podcast as well with my good friend Donnie, Roadie on the Horn. Uh, the name of that podcast available on, uh, on Spotify. Uh, for you guys to uh, to check out but it's been a good time I uh, always appreciate the end zone pod crew uh, good chatting with uh, Bradford and Mason as well and uh, yeah enjoying the NFL playoffs that was a, a fun time of year so uh, good times on uh, on the couch here in the winter uh, grinding in football has been a fun time appreciate it yeah no worries thank you Ryan we will be back Thursday very sh much shorter more abbreviated episode probably 30 to 40 minutes we'll just give our picks and predict some headlines once again for the divisional round weekend. So check that out later. Thank you so much for listening. For Bradford and Mason, I'm Eric Jensen. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Peace out. Take care.